This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. If you're just joining us, so welcome. Sandy Clough on my left. I'm Sean Drotar. Danny Bailey is in the booth. And uh, on the phone with us right now is Cody Rourke of Mile High Sports, the lead Broncos writer and the, the host of uh, a great many number of podcasts. This man is uh, is busy. Good morning, Broncos. This is the, the, the program that he puts together here for uh, Mile High Sports. Cody, thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I want to start with some of the work you're doing. You you worked with a, a bunch of the po- folks here at Mile High Sports and are putting together some season-ending awards. And we've talked about the first two of them uh, on the website. You can go check them out at MileHighSports.com now. Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year. The uh, the interesting part is in both of those, and I was part of this roundtable, I'm the, I'm the only person who picked something different in each of these. So I don't know if I'm the weirdo. The, the Offensive Player of the Year, uh, let, let's see where you went. Uh, Cody, you uh, selected, obviously, Cortland Sutton. In fact, everybody, uh, Rich Kurtzman, Doug Ottawa, Lindsey Bill, all Cortland Sutton. I, I selected Quinn Miners. And maybe that's because I tend, to, I tend to look at the line and think that no offense works without the line. But when you, you look at the year that Sutton had and you look at the sort of interesting post he had at Instagram, almost indicating is that if maybe he was ready to move on, uh, what did you perceive out, out of Sutton's season and, and this guy that's been with the Broncos his whole career? What's next? Yeah, no, that's a great, great point there. And obviously, uh, I think Doug, so Doug was kind of confusing because Doug's was, he mentioned Cortland Sutton, but then he said it was Russell Wilson. He chose Russ. You're correct. He did choose Russell Wilson. You're correct. My my mistake. But no, I mean, I I think you have a valid case. Like I think Quinn Miners, you look at him, he's the best player. I mean, from not a skilled player position, Quinn Miners is the best player on the offensive side of the ball that, you know, for, for his position, what he does, we talk about physically manhandling dudes. I watched one play where he absolutely manhandled Max Crosby in the last game of the season on a stunt. They tried to do a, a tackle and twist, and Quinn Miners just buried him. I mean, I, so much to build off of for him going forward. I think there's validity to that. But when we talk about overall production, Cortland Sutton by far, I mean, there's not even close, and he missed a couple of games. Right. Uh, not even close in terms of the production of anybody else. Ten receiving touchdowns for him. Didn't have, like, the yards, and obviously was not factored into the all-pro voting. I feel like if he maybe had over 1,000 yards receiving, I think maybe he would have gotten some consideration. I mean, obviously there are some really good receivers in the NFL here this season, but for what he was able to do for Denver, he was the best part of their offense, which, you know, you love to see that, but at the same time it's very concerning that nobody else was even close to him in terms of production. There's a lot of that on this team, isn't there? Uh, where, where where one player uh, at many positions, not all, but many positions seem to stand out. One or two players seem to stand out over everybody else. And certainly wide receiver is one of those positions. And I think Miners on the offensive line, uh, I think the Broncos as a line finished third and run block win rate. Well, a lot of that is Miners. And, of course, that they were further down in pass block win rate in the rankings, but maybe some of it uh, is explained by the fact that we're talking about a guard here and how much impact can a guard have by comparison with a wide receiver? Yeah. I mean, a no, guard I mean, can't score touchdowns and Sutton had 10. <laughs> I mean, they should find a way to, to, you know, make him eligible, you know, give, give Quinn Miners a, uh, you know, a touchdown 
reception at one of these points. Maybe move him off right. Yeah. They bring in Quinn Bailey, put him in at right guard. Right. And then number 77 reports is eligible on the outside. I think we can make something like that work going forward. Uh, you know, you're right there, too. And, you know, and the thing, I, you know, I'm, right now I'm doing a deep dive as well. It's coming here on milehighsports.com this week. I'm beginning a little bit of an early look at free agency. I'm looking at the Broncos in-house free agents on offense and defense. The offensive article will drop tomorrow, and so much of it is, you know, we talk about Lloyd Cushenberry. One of the things that I highlight in that is that, you know, hey, Denver's offensive line outside of the last game of the regular season had the same starting lineup each and every week, which was good. There were moments where they were good as an offensive line in terms of run-blocking production where the Broncos were able to run the ball effectively. But we've seen too much inconsistency in terms of run-blocking and pass protection, and part of me is wondering – is that a scheme issue or is that personnel? I think the personnel is pretty solid, but part of me is wondering, is it the scheme that's making it to where the Broncos offense was as bad as it was, despite how good some of those guys played this season? To me, that's something that Sean Payton's going to have to answer. And Look, the coaches are back in the building here this week. They took last week off outside of Sean Payton doing the end-of-the-year presser. They're back with their reports. All the position coaches were tasked with filling out their end-of-the-year reports on every player in their position group. Coordinators are putting together their summaries as well. And now they're getting to the point where they talk about the vision for 2024, who they want back, who they feel like they need, or you know, if, if a guy needs development further or if they're looking to maybe move on. Those are some of those things that they are looking at right now. And I think the offensive line is going to be a big part of that discussion here this offseason. Well, we know that free agency is not going to solve the quarterback challenge. Now, that there could be guys that, that they can bring in. Obviously, there are a lot of journeyman players, and I, I've suggested that I would be surprised if Jameis Winston, if he's not here in Denver, that if he doesn't get a long look because Sean Payton goes with guys that he's familiar with. But that's not going to solve this quarterback problem. And for the Broncos and their fans, this story is going to continue to be about what are the Broncos doing at quarterback because in this league, uh, with all due respect, you can bring in – Uh, the Jared Stidham's of the world, the Jameis Winston's of the world, you're not a significant contender. And no matter what you do with the rest of the roster, it's not going to happen before that. Is Sean Payton potentially looking in this this process that you're discussing about dealing with the quarterback later? Is the the idea of of getting the quarterback for this team sort of the, uh, the hood ornament on the car, the last piece of the puzzle? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of options on the table right now. And what I could tell you is that there might be a scenario where Russell Wilson is actually back this year. And I, and I know that, you know, there are a lot of people that don't want that to happen. But well, primarily Sean Payton. I mean, that, that's the vibe, Sean right? Sean Payton's the one guy. Yeah, one. So. That's the thing. But financially, though, if they can find a way to get him to reduce his contract, I could see a scenario where there, he stays. There, whether but there's no way. There, there, there can't be any way, right? I mean, after why would what happened, even want why, to why, why would he trust them on anything? Why would he want to come back? They've all but humiliated him in public. I mean, I just don't don't see yeah, any was- pathway that's reasonable there. And 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 t- I know his teammates have had a tendency to defend him. Uh, yeah. Who wouldn't? You know, if he's, if if that can happen right. to him, it can happen to any one of them. Uh, they're on his side, but it still would be enormously awkward and difficult for him to assume any kind of leadership role once again after having been – I I don't think humiliation is necessarily too strong a word. That's what happened. Yeah, no, I mean, the whole situation was ugly, and, and the overall perception of it was rough. And, and I know Denver stuck by their, their cards last week in the end-of-the-year presser 
talked about how they did it out of you know in good faith and, and the conversations were professional and things like that. But uh, you know, even Russ put something weird out on Twitter yesterday where you know he talked about you know he asked a question about what you know everyone's favorite moments were from the Broncos season. He mentioned Cortland's catch against Buffalo and obviously them. He said us beating Kansas City. He said 2023 was funny. He said 2024 is going to be even better. Part of me is wondering, okay, does what does that mean? Does that you know? I I think there is a scenario here too, and I know I know Russ is open to it. I mean, he he told us that. I've had a chance to you know even talk to him briefly as well, and he's open to that. Like I think that's that's something like he wants to be here. He's obviously got some support from his teammates. Um, but the question, as you mentioned, it's all going to be up to Sean Payton. It's going to be his decision ultimately. And I think Greg Penner said it best last week. You know, obviously. The financial ramifications, they're going to factor in, but mainly the decision that the team is going to make is going to be in the best interest of you know what can win the Broncos game. So uh, obviously Sean Payton, George Payton, have the full support of Greg Penner on whatever it is they decide to do. I'm a big believer of this. I think regardless, I, I don't know if you go in free agency and try to get a quarterback, to be honest with you. That's not necessarily the route that I would like Denver to take. And I know Jameis, obviously with the connection he's got to Payton, would make sense. But, I mean, to me – I would much rather the Broncos draft a quarterback that, you know, if they find a guy that they really like and let's say he's available or if you know, they have to move up a couple spots or if there's a guy they can get even in round one at, at pick number 12. I think you take that guy, and I don't think there's anything wrong with maybe bringing him out in a competition and training camp or if you do decide to bring in a veteran free agency like a Jameis Winston, sit the rookie guy for a year and then unload him after this season to be able to play. I mean, that's what Denver's got to do. I think we saw some parallels in some of the playoff games Jordan Love's situation in Green Bay was a little different because he sat for years, yes. years yes. and years. But that's the way they do it. Look, look what it's done for him. I mean, golly, he looks like a hell of a player, and he's much better than what he looked like in college. He's much better than the the reps that he got early on last year uh, throughout some of the debacles when Aaron was injured. Jordan Love looks like the real deal, and and I think the environment. If you have a system in place, that's the number one thing. And George Payton said it. The key in terms of depth, you got to draft and you have to develop guys, and I think that could be the best bet for Denver and the quarterback situation going forward. Uh, let's turn to the defense for a second and uh, look at the two fixtures, Simmons and Sertan, but also at the other nine spots that seem a lot less clear-cut. Uh, McMillan and Moreau fell off the face of the earth the last two or three games. Uh, didn't play well. Uh, the cornerback spot opposite Sertan seems to be a weak point. Uh, the safety position, uh, you know, Locke played well and pretty consistently, but is he a long-term answer, and will Caden Stearns ever stay healthy? And what do you do about the two inside linebackers who – put up nice tackling numbers, but don't appear always to have a positive impact. Yeah, I think primarily the biggest priority for Denver, in my opinion, is going to be beefing up the defensive line. I'm talking big body yeah. guys. And look, yeah. they, Denver yeah. may have to switch from a 3-4 scheme to a 4-3. They might have to do that. That might be the best bet for them going forward if they if they do plan to do that. I think DJ Jones will be back. But the bigger question is, can you get another guy there that's a big physical body that's hard to move on the interior because Denver's run defense at times is so inconsistent, and it was hard for the linebackers when the, you know a defensive lineman is getting clogged into one gap and the other offensive lineman, you know, if you have a guard and a tackle that are double teaming down, 
they're allowing that other guy to get to the second level. That's getting hands on the linebacker, which leads to six, seven-yard carries, things like that. Uh, I think Denver's struggles at linebacker are more relative to the defensive line than it is the linebacker position itself. But I also believe that Denver is adamant. I think the plan for them going into next season, opposite of Sertan on the outside, I don't think Fabian Moreau will be back. I think that the plan is that they want to start Riley Moss there. And, and George Payton told us last week they view him as a starting corner. Oh, he go, he league. went on and on about Moss. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of cost-effective options here for Denver, and I think that's going to be the plan. Right now the plan is for Riley to start at corner opposite of Sertan. Jaquan McMillan will be back, to my knowledge. Um, in terms of safety, you know, Caden Stearns is expected to be ready, but Denver has to, in my opinion, obviously now with Delarian Turner-Yale, Suffering the ACL injury in the second to last week of the season, he won't he's be not going to be ready for camp. Nope. He's not going to be ready for the regular season. They're going to need, in my opinion, to bring in a veteran safety during free agency that can be in the mix because Locke is going to get attention from some teams around the NFL and free agency. He would love to be back in Denver, but he's been a guy that's been working his tail off for the last four and a half years, and he's got an opportunity. And there's going to be some teams out there that'll be interested in him starting. I know Denver's one of them. But the bigger question here is if that is the plan for Denver to make him start next to Justin Simmons, you know, you gotta, you're know you going to have three guys there with him, Caden Stearns and, and Justin, but the reality is, is your depth going to be good enough? Is J.L. Skinner going to be ready to step up and take on a bigger role on special teams? To me, those are some important questions. I still think Denver needs to add a veteran at the safety position to kind of be an insurance policy there. I, I'm not sure if there was ever a missing persons report file but how's the search for zach allen going (laughs) well you know zach i I feel like zach this season the beginning part of the year i thought he was invisible in a sense i think the middle part toward the end of the season he started to come on a lot more I, i just think denver's scheme and really i think this is the biggest part of it i think their scheme is good to be flexible but i don't think it's good to be powerful in a sense and i think denver's defense has to make that shift. I think if you move them to a 4-3 scheme or you do a 4-2-5 hybrid scheme, I think that Denver's going to have the ability to you know, maybe be better with their personnel because far too often their other defensive end opposite of Zach Allen would get washed. I mean, Zach was a guy that was consistently seeing double team after double team, and nobody else was making plays you know, at D-tackle or the other D-end spot, or they would run away from Zach Allen. They'd go at the other D-end spot. So, they're just going to have to, I think, find some dudes, some guys that are absolute just you know, tenacious guys, dogs on the defensive line because that's what they're going to need. They need that physicality. They need that aggressiveness. And while Mike Purcell, I think, was pretty solid for them this year, he's at a point now where, look, he's a veteran. He's not getting any younger at this point. You need younger guys that are strong and physical. And I think the NFL draft has some really good defensive tackles in it this year that Denver should take a look at. Now, we're talking with Cody Rourke of My Life Sports. Part of the challenge, and you, you hit it up uh, uh, just a minute ago, cost-effectiveness. For the Broncos, presuming they move away from Russell Wilson, that, that's going to require some cost-effectiveness, right? You have to make a decision uh, on Garrett Bowles. We know there's going to be dead cap money. The Broncos uh, are not flush with the cap space, and they'll have dead cap money. They also don't have a lot of draft picks. They don't have a second because they traded for Sean Payton. So how do you acquire this? Uh, when you're talking about you know limitations on the salary cap, limitations on the NFL draft, I mean, how much can they really improve when you're talking about uh, getting more young, impactful players? Well, it depends on what uh, the NFL salary cap is going to be. I mean, I've been watching the playoffs this week, gentlemen, and uh, with all the damn commercials that we're seeing, especially on Peacock, 
<laughs> that better be two hundred and forty million dollars this year. That that's what the salary cap should be. If, if they're getting paid all this, they're having records. NFL got paid hundred and ten million dollars by an, uh, NBC reportedly to broadcast uh, that game on Peacock. And uh, the yeah, ratings, that's, by that's the way, not- I was reading a piece last week. I think in the Wall Street Journal said the ratings were as high as they've been since twenty fifteen. Now, to be fair, NFL rules require that in the Kansas City and Miami markets they have to be. Oh well, yeah, they're right. But well, but, but you know, it, it didn't seem to put as much of a cooling effect on it as we thought, right? <laughs> no, I mean people love football. Football's on. They're going to find a way to watch it. I know you know fifteen million of the twenty three million probably watched it from one of my favorite websites. That Danny Billy knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> there, you know, if you want to figure it out, you know, you got to go east. But uh, the, the you know, I think the overall aspect of it is Denver's got a plan financially. And look, if the salary cap is two hundred and forty million dollars, it's going to give them a little bit more flexibility, especially if they move on from Russ. I think the biggest hope at this point for Denver is to hope that if they do move on from us, that another team signs him, you know, to a vet minimum or, you know, Denver maybe offers to pay half of the contract and the other team takes maybe, you know, a quarter of it. I mean, that's the best case scenario. We'll see what happens. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces right now with a lot of teams searching for a head coach. Um, and that could potentially expand after Monday's games, potentially even Philadelphia. Could be. And they lose. So. And McCarthy could be in trouble. Oh, man. And so even Atlanta, Atlanta has been the one place – Atlanta and Vegas have been the two places talked about specifically for Russell Wilson. Um, yeah. Even Pittsburgh is a possibility. Right. You know what, too, as well, even with the change going on in Seattle. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Russ obviously spent time with Pete Carroll and all of his former teammates when Pete Carroll, all the, the day the news came out, they went and they, had a, they all had a party and right. a celebration. And Russell Maybe showed Russell up. ends up back in Seattle. Who yep. knows? <laughs> what a wild turn of events that would be. Well, it's going to be an interesting offseason, and for the Broncos, they, you know, there's a big gap. We've seen it, and we talked about teams like the Texans, teams that weren't in the playoffs last year, and they look like they might be uh, there to stay. Fixtures, teams like mm-hmm. the Jets with Aaron Rodgers could be a threat. Joe Burrow, if he comes back, Cincinnati's there. These are all teams that missed the playoffs. The Broncos are going to have to hop them and the teams already in it. It's going to be a big, very complicated offseason. You want to make sure you stay on top of it. For all of it, you go ahead and give Cody a follow on social media. Cody Rourke. NFL Rourke is spelled R O A R K NFL MyLifeSports.com for all of the latest. And uh, you can, of course, get the app as we've talked about and get all of that in one spot. So it will be a fun offseason, and we're looking forward to talking to you as it goes along. But uh, for the moment, I guess uh, enjoy the uh, freezing football, and we'll find out what happens uh, as it comes along. Thanks, Cody. Yes, sir. Appreciate you guys. And, uh, you know, one more game left to see if I go perfect on all the picks this week and we'll have to see if it pans out. If you did that, you must be one of the few people that did. I can tell you that much. So uh, give, us, help, give us some tips next weekend when that comes out. Appreciate it. <laughs> Luck of the Irish. <laughs> Thanks so much, Cody. Have a good one. Well, it, well, I'm four and one against the spread. If Buffalo hangs on to a 14 point, and it, it looks like they will, as Buffalo uh, just scored probably a Pittsburgh kind of game, giving it a, a pretty good roll, and coming back in the second half. But uh, Buffalo appears to be too much as expected. They appear to be moving on. So some, uh, it's just a lot for the Denver Broncos to get over, and a lot to do in one off season. It's very difficult to imagine that there's any uh, opportunity to avoid the mediocrity this team has been. It's probably going to stick around, barring something really interesting uh, in the near future. Well, the Denver Nuggets had a uh, interesting weekend. They will have an interesting week. Nikola Jokic is the best player in basketball. But even for Nikola Jokic, he's doing things that are a little bit nuts. I have a number for you you will not even believe. I'll tell you next on My Life Sports.
Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I know I just, you know, shouted him out in the locker room. I thought Michael just had a complete basketball game tonight. Scored, rebounded, playmaked, had two blocks, a steal. Um, so there, there really wasn't one area where Michael wasn't really efficient tonight. So, uh, and that's, that, that should be his goal, right? How can I impact the game across the board? I know that I have a great jump shot. I can go seven for 11, um, you know, but I got to rebound. I got to defend. I got to use my length. And he did all that tonight, Katie. So uh, that was great to see from Michael. The post-game press conference from Nuggets coach Michael Malone to uh, Altitude TV's Katie Wingy asking that particular question. After the Nuggets knock off the Pacers this weekend, uh, it sort of an interesting curiosity with uh, 25 points for Porter Jr., 25 points for Nicole Jokic, 25 points for Jamal Murray as the Nuggets win that game 117 to 109 uh, at home. But Porter Jr.'s play this season has been uh, quite a bit better. There's been dips, and and some uh, of what we yes. suggested, I think, last weekend, if the it's human nature. I think Porter Jr. has done everything that, that Malone has said. He has worked harder on his defense. He's worked harder on impacting the game in different ways. His rebounding is at a career high. But the Nuggets need to do a little bit of what you saw in this game against the Pacers. If, like all people do, when you're not involved, it becomes harder to give effort on the other side of the ball. The Nuggets need to make sure that they give Porter Jr. an opportunity to get going. It is to their advantage in a couple of different ways. One, he can score 25 points. He can go seven for 11 from three, which is what he did in that game. And he now gives another very serious weapon when teams are worried about the two-man game with Jokic and Murray and then trying to pay attention to the occasional role by Aaron Gordon. But if, if Michael Porter Jr. is out there bombing away, now how do you defend the Nuggets? So it's to their advantage to get him going offensively. But Porter Jr., like many players, you involve him offensively, he gets going defensively. He gets going in the rest of the game. And I think the Nuggets have to be cognizant of that. And I, I think yesterday was a good matchup for him. Uh, all five starters shot over 50% from mm-hmm. the field, but particularly up front, uh, the Nuggets just annihilated uh, Indiana. And I, I know Bruce Brown is listed as a forward, but to me he's more of a guard. Yeah. And they don't have Halliburton. Uh, and it exposes them up front Nuggets a little 64 bit. Sixty-four points in the paint that way. Yeah, and yeah. and shot and, a very high rate when they yeah. were down there. And yeah. I, I don't, it, you know, Indiana had fourteen offensive rebounds because they missed a lot more shots. Denver only had four offensive rebounds. Well, Denver shot sixty-five percent. There weren't any <laughs> offensive team. rebounds available to be taken. Usually, to me, offensive rebounding is a is a big stat. But then there are games like yesterday when one side shoots sixty-five percent, the other. The side shoots a little bit better than 46.5%, where, where it doesn't really make that much difference. And one side's 10 for 20 on threes. That's Denver. And the other's 8 for 29. So right. a lot of misses there. Long rebounds tend to happen when you miss uh, three-pointers. Uh, both teams are bad at the foul line, below 70%. Uh, but the Nugget front line was sensational. I mean, Gordon had a double-double. Uh, Porter easily could have uh, had a double-double. And played 37 minutes yesterday. Uh, you know that's a that's that's big time. But it was a close game, for, at least from quarter to quarter. It was. Yeah. It was. A, it was a tight game. Uh, the Nuggets were uh, generally in control, but it wasn't one of those blowouts that got no. Close Indiana. At the end. Indiana was, was game. Indiana yeah. was game. Brown was terrific. Bruce Brown uh, had a double double with 18 points, 10 rebounds. Also had six assists, three steals. Uh, 
the, the Nuggets were at their best yesterday and close to being at their best uh, on Friday night, won easily against a good New Orleans team. They'd be two good teams, yeah. not great teams, but two good, good teams. teams this weekend in New Orleans and um, Indiana, and they've lost two worse teams even at home this year than New Orleans and Indiana. So it's a very solid weekend, and uh, the Nuggets continue to perform uh, as one of the top three, four teams in the NBA uh, where they've been all season long. And they, I think, uh, over the next few weeks, unlike the Avalanche, who have these two long Eastern trips, right? Uh, the Nuggets' schedule is quite favorable in the next few weeks. Uh, the one thing the Nuggets have not had this year um, is one of those great months. Uh, like you, you, I'm just looking. Uh, Minnesota went ten and three in December and was plus five road wins versus home losses. Uh, Denver has been steady, but not spectacular. Uh, each of the four months so far, plus two, plus two, plus three, and zero for this month with five wins, two losses, five home games uh, played out of seven. Uh, Milwaukee had a great November and went 11-2 and two in December, um, but has been poor in January, and Milwaukee was lucky to win against Sacramento. That was a tough loss. The Kings were up in overtime by four with under 20 seconds to go, missed three out of four free throws, and Damian Lillard hit a three from 33 feet out to win the game by a point uh, at the buzzer. The Nuggets are going along fine. They've been steady, uh, not necessarily spectacular. They haven't had one of those nine or ten game winning streaks or anything like that. Minnesota has probably, at its best, been a little better than Denver's been. But you know who else is like Denver in the East? Boston. No spectacular months, no plus five or better months. Right. Just going along. There's uh, nothing wrong with slow and steady. Twelve and two, four and three, slow and steady. Means you're good. And Boston's in first place where it should be, and then they're in first place by a lot when you really look at it yeah. in the East. And and Denver is is right there in the West. Uh, for me, they're pretty much even with Oklahoma City and. They, they played two more games than Minnesota and lost two more games than Minnesota. But the difference between 28 and 11, 28 and 13 is not great. Uh, Minnesota's playing very well. Um, no real criticism uh, to place on any of these top eight, nine teams really around the league. The thing is, there's a huge drop once you get past the top uh eight nine teams then you're you're dropping back a little bit and you have i mean teams that are just bad uh to varying degrees phoenix the lakers golden state i mean teams that were supposed to be playoff teams this year right and 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 even avoiding the play-in tournament right Mm -hmm. and as of right now the Lakers are not a play-in team. Golden State is not a play-in team. And Phoenix is seventh. But really, when you look at the schedules and the degree of difficulty from here on out, I like Utah more than Phoenix. And probably both will be in the play-in tournament. The 
way the Nuggets have played, obviously, is has been fascinating. But the numbers for Jokic, and by the way, t- tomorrow, by the way, uh, they will take on the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, it will be the second game of a back-to-back for Joel Embiid, who has developed a re- reputation, I-, I think somewhat unfairly, for for ducking the Nuggets and Nikola Jokic. <laughs> but the Nuggets... Yeah, I think it's a little unfair. Injury but, report is yeah. interesting. And I will read it to you its entirety here. And... Boy, let me get my medical uh, medical jargon ready. Nikola Jokic, questionable with a hip strain. Jamal Murray, questionable with a bilateral tibia. Aaron Gordon, questionable with a heel strain. Michael Porter Jr., questionable with knee inflammation. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, questionable with cervicothoracic strain. The Nuggets are just trolling the 76ers, aren't they? Yeah. All, star, all their starting five with complicated injuries. Everybody questionable. Nobody knows who's going to play. They're literally just deciding to put it on the Sixers and see if they can get under Embiid's skin, which is um, kind of hilarious. I guess that's the kind of thing you can do when you're the champs, I, I suppose. But uh, they did win today. Obviously, not as shocked that uh, Philadelphia was able to beat the Houston Rockets. I'm sure everyone was stunned. They uh, won at home 124 to 115 and Embiid with 41 points in that game, including 16 from the charity stripe, but Jokic is the one that is playing on a level of which saying I I've never seen against the Pacers. He went 12 for 13. Yeah. Now <laughs> in his last nine games, this yeah. takes him all the way back to the 28th of December with Memphis. He is. And I'm not joking. 85 for 105 from the field. He's shooting 81% from the field in his last nine games. I've last nine games. He's missed 20 shots, 20 shots. And in those games, he scored, by the way, 26, 19, 13, 34, 29. One game he played four, 27, 27 and 25. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. For the month of, of January alone, and we went back a little bit because in the Oklahoma City game on the 29th, he went 9 for 10, and in the game against Memphis, he went 11 for 11. But, I mean, this month, he is he averaging almost 77.4% while averaging 22.7 from uh, 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 points, 9.1 boards, and 9.9 assists. He can almost name his uh, statistical line. He really can. And, by the way, his blocks are going up at a, at a, to a career high yeah, level as well. He had one block yesterday. Porter had two. Uh, the Nuggets aren't a shot-blocking team, but uh, they got a few yesterday. Uh, he's he's just a marvel. Uh, he's hands down the best player. I don't in understand the world. it. It's hard to believe he's continuing to get better. I would argue, and you know, the scoring is uh, is what it is when you're looking at MVP candidate scoring in the in the high 30s. I get it that Jokic is a 25.5, but last year he was a 24.5. I mean, he, he's right now. 25.5, that's a point higher than it was last year. Rebounds, he's at 11.8, exactly what he was the year before. Assists, he's down from 9.8 to 9.3. Blocks, he's up to a career-high 0.9 per game. And his turnovers are down over the last five seasons for Nikola Jokic. Uh, once Bill Walton said it, it was good enough for me. The best passing center in the history of basketball. He's under three, Sandy. He's at 2.9 right now. He's well, playing better basketball than he he's ever played, he and it's almost unimaginable. And, and, you know, there are a few games here and there. We'll throw in six or seven turnovers. He had seven yesterday. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, they, they aren't 
they they don't seem when he makes them to be turnovers that are awfully impactful. Uh, and if he does have a high number, the rest of the team is not playing well. I mean, Marie had five turnovers mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. Uh, the Nuggets had 21 turnovers. It's just one of those games where they were not uh, particularly uh, efficient with their, with their two best players having 12 uh, between them uh, it, in handling the ball. But they, they were in control of the game. They were shooting 65%. And he, as you say, shooting over 80% in his last insane. nine games from the field. It's, it's just insane. And the degree of difficulty on the shots is reasonably high. Yeah, he's not He's not just dunking. No. I mean, that's not no, the way he plays, right? I mean, no. it, it's, uh, and and to Michael Malone's credit, it is a small, small number. I get it. It's only by a, a, a less than a minute. But he is playing the fewest minutes yeah. per game as he has in the last well, four. I like the fact that he only played 33 yesterday. The fewest, which has been the average. 33.3 like like on that. the season, working on making sure and that they fact, get that of the, of, squared. Of the five starters, by far, he played the fewest minutes of the five, which is something new. Uh, well, there have been quite a few occasions where he's played the most minutes because he's had to. Um, and the Nuggets really only used three off the bench. And, I, I, you know, you settle in with Jackson, Brown, and Watson, and it's... It, it it was fine yesterday. Yeah, Indiana plays more people, so they got more production, uh, particularly more scoring off its bench, and there'll be a lot of nights like that for the Nuggets, but you notice the Nuggets didn't really use a backup center and still only played Jokic for 32 Two minutes. significant games this week. So there are different get... ways to limit right. his minutes without playing DeAndre Jordan for 10 or 12 minutes or Zeke Naji for 10 or 12 minutes. And Malone has developed a kind of flexibility in his thinking that uh, two years ago we would not have thought possible. They're in a good place. Two big games, national TV for both of them. Tuesday, tomorrow, they will take on the Sixers in Philly, and then they get a break until Friday, Friday night. Nuggets, Celtics, ESPN. Big show, Uh, so a big week. Very big. Coming up for the Denver Nuggets, obviously. Wildcard weekend. Uh, still going underway as we speak. Uh, Buffalo Bar- Bills are Bar- barely still going. To polishing play. off the Pittsburgh Steelers, but we'll take a look at the NFL weekend and what's, uh, of course, the the game tonight and what it might mean going forward. We'll do that next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Hey, I get it's freezing outside right now, and maybe you're thinking, well, if I'm going to sell my home, I need to wait until it warms up. Well, you don't. You don't have to do that. You know, the Colorado market's been crazy for years, but I can tell you how to navigate it. My friend's David Mark at Key Real Estate Group, Colorado Luxury Home Team, and when I talk about the Colorado Luxury Home Team, doesn't mean you're talking about luxury homes. It's the service, that high-end luxury service whether you're buying or selling, to make sure that you get the best things for you. You need experts that know Colorado's market, know how to ride those highs and lows, and that means you need two things. You have to have experience and stability. Well, that's Dave and Mark. Key Real Estate Group is as steady as it gets. They're a privately held company, 25 years in the same offices. And because inventory is still low around the Denver metro area, homes that are pressed right, priced right, still have, they still sell fast. So let Dave and Mark give you the free valuation. Yeah, I get it. It's cold, and you think you can wait. But you know what? People who are looking to buy 
in the winter months, they're more serious about it. They're not doing a lot of shopping. They want to go buy a home. So there's no reason for you to wait. Let Dave and Mark represent you to make sure you're getting everything you deserve. Call Dave and Mark at the Key Real Estate Group at 720-900-LIST. That's 720-900-LIST. Or visit them today at keyrealestategroup.com. Sandy, the Buffalo Bills polish off the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, to their credit, because this game... Uh, just prior to the break was 21-0 Bills. The Steelers and did I get a Buffalo touchdown. I think Buffalo missed a field goal, right, to make mm-hmm. it 24. And uh, then the Steelers were, were game. Uh, they, they drew. Yeah. I mean, it was 10-10 yeah. to 10 in the second half, but, of course, that doesn't open. You're down. The Steelers lose to the Bills 31-17. to but, 17, uh, Not a surprise. Two times they got within a mm-hmm. touchdown, 21-14 yeah. and 24-17. So give them credit. Uh, you know, a Mason Rudolph-led Steelers offense was not expected to do very much, and granted they weren't amazing, but – I thought they played reasonably well. The Bills, of course, not surprisingly, move on. Only the final game tonight, the Eagles at the Buccaneers, which is still amazing. The Eagles 11-6, and six, but they started 10-1. and one, And Baker Mayfield walks into Tampa Bay after Tom Brady leaves, and they stand more Plays than a puncher's chance. better than Tom Brady played last year. They stand more than a puncher's chance here, Sandy, which Whoa. sounds almost Whoa. laughable. Yeah. Philly is the favorite by two and a half. but For, for some reason, and I, I think it's one of those deals where the point spread is right and they're favoring the wrong team. Uh, I, I know Philadelphia's got a better record, but Philadelphia's one and six in its last seven games. One and six? Right. I mean, how many teams have a one and Am six? Am I right on that? Uh, one and five. Is there a ten and one? One and one five. five. One but, five. I mean, you think about that. How many teams have a one and five stretch in their season at any point and still make the playoffs. Yeah. And, and that's what they've had. And like, as you pointed out, you know, talking about backing in, I mean, you had games against Arizona and New York to finish the season. And they lost them. And both. you lost them both. I mean, to it's, blow the division. Now it, it's a mess. I, you know, it, it psychologically, I have to ask Perea about this later this in the week when we do the podcast on, on Wednesday, which can be heard of course at five 30 right here on my high sports. I think it might have almost hurt the Cowboys because all of a sudden they're sitting there. It reminded me a little of the Broncos in 05 in the AFC Championship game, which they always expected That's to kind be of an interesting in point. Indianapolis. And all of a sudden, Pittsburgh beats Indy after the Broncos beat New England, right? Mm-hmm. And the Broncos, we just beat New England. Nobody's beaten Brady and Belichick in the playoffs. Right. We just beat New England. And now, look, we get a home game. Against Pittsburgh, it, it, that's that's an interesting point that it might have thrown it might have thrown I, Dallas I off a bit because they they were used to chasing I and chasing and had that Dallas mentality a little, that little bit that Dallas the was not expecting to win the NFC East and they sort of got the division handed to them. Now they, you know, they well, played they had, okay they down the stretch, season, sure. but they they didn't beat a lot of great teams this year, uh, particularly uh, they finished one game ahead of Philly. And I think they took home field for granted. They were the only team in the NFL that went eight and zero at home this year, undefeated at home, undefeated at home this year. Right. They were the only team, Until. and I, I think that contributed. I think they got a little lazy, at least psychologically, because they hadn't lost a home game, and the division. I'm sorry, it was handed to them by a team that lost five of its last six games, and it, it was handed to them. So they got two gifts. And I think they were soft. And I think when, especially early in the game, Green Bay came out roaring, I think they choked. I I, I really do. And I, I don't think that happened in any other game. Houston was 
was terrific. Stroud, the youngest quarterback, I think, to be a part of a winning playoff yep. team. And he was 157.2. Who does that in the first playoff game? Uh, except Love did it with Green Bay at 157.2 in his first playoff game. It was uh, great for the first-timers. Now, I know Goff wasn't a first-time playoff quarterback, but in Detroit he was. Yeah. And there was generations all since kinds they played of the game pressure. Detroit. Right. So, right. You know, all kinds of pressure on Goff. And he responded with a terrific game. And uh, I, I'm laughing because we're watching the, the uh, on your screen here. Even Josh Allen looked cold talking to Tracy yeah. Wilson at the end right. of the game. And Josh Allen's from Wyoming, and he's played in Buffalo for many years. And even he looked cold. Even he looked cold uh, in Buffalo. How about he was great to, today. He, he did not great. throw a pick. He was he great. Did not throw and a, a pick. A Fifty-two-yard well. touchdown yep. run played well. The, the Buffalo defense, of course, got things going quick uh, tonight for for Philly. They do not have their leading receiver, AJ Brown, who right. is out. They do not have their leading tackler, safety Reed Blankenship, who is also and their out. corners have been terrible. And it feels to me a little bit. I I, I have a tough time because I just I know Philly's good and I know Philly's well coached and I get all that. Yeah. But right now, I'm just like, that is a team that it probably, if you're in that locker room, you're just feeling like the bottom fell out. Well, and you don't know why either. It'd That's be the problem. One you, you can't thing. fix it. Right. How you if, fix it? it? Be you don't know what's wrong. Thing if you could pinpoint this is what's wrong. And I know statistically, it would seem that the defense has been the bigger culprit. And yeah. they're losing five of the last six games they played. But the offense hasn't been very they scored good 10 either. Against the Giants. And they have a great offensive line. They, they didn't do anything and against, against the Giants. Seattle. Right, right, right. And, it, and I know Jalen Hurts is banged up, and he's probably playing more injured than he's playing hurt. But it's just inexplicable to me. And that's the reason, the main reason I like Tampa tonight is because I don't think Philadelphia knows what's wrong. And if you don't know what's wrong, how can you fix it? And it's, and hard, it's got, hard to go out with confidence. Speaking of guys with no pressure, oh, that's Baker Mayfield. Up, Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, win or lose, he's resurrected his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a free agent. I suspect Tampa will want him back, especially if they win tonight. Yeah, but even think. if they don't, I suspect they would want him back. So there's no pressure on him, and I, I think not just on Hertz, but the entire Eagle team. This tremendous pressure. This is a team that was close to winning the Super Bowl last year, got off to a 10-1 and start this year, and all of a sudden stopped playing. And, I mean, guys who are great players. Uh, I, I'm thinking of the young kid, uh, Jalen Carter, on the defensive line. Yeah, yeah we looked like a, He's a rookie. He's disappeared. Right. Can't, just the last five or six weeks. guys have, have vanished. What's happened to him? I... I it's it's a strange situation for Philly, and that's why there's even some discussion locally that where they lose, maybe Nick Sirianni maybe is in trouble. Maybe he's in trouble. Maybe he's in trouble. And I, I, I say that not because it would be fair, but the Eagles are one of those organizations now. They think they should be playing for a spot in the Super Bowl just about every year. That's how Howie Roseman thinks. That's how ownership right. thinks. Roseman's the GM. Uh, that's how they think. And if they wind up losing, including tonight, six of the last seven, I think they're going to be questions. And Bill Belichick is looming out there. Right. And and no one, no one believes how about this? that Bill Belichick can't coach anymore. Right. Now, I, I don't know if you want him, as they say, 
shopping for the groceries, but he can coach. And that was proven to me when he came in here on Christmas Eve and coached circles around Sean Payton. And now you have a, a bizarre situation now, potentially, where Belichick at 72 and being unceremoniously dumped from his franchise is all of a sudden in total control of the potential possibility of like, wow, well, everyone just come to me and give me some offers. I I have a question for you. By the way, the Bills win also gives them, talking about a bounce back, the Chiefs will be going to Buffalo uh, next Sunday. Now, the Chiefs don't mind the cold weather. They do not. But I need to get Patrick Holmes a more sturdy helmet. Buffalo's one of those teams, especially in Buffalo right now, you don't want to be playing with them uh, uh, and playing against them. Uh, You know, and and Kansas City, this will be a defensive game. Yeah. I suspect regardless of the weather conditions, it'll be a defensive game now, which is crazy when you're talking about Buffalo and Kansas City and the games they played in the past, which have been offensive free-for-alls. But I, I was going to just ask, because the, the unceremoniously dumped, is there such a thing as a ceremonious dumping? Well, I'd like to think a lot of times in high school they were more ceremonious, but that's sort of a yeah, different thing. That's a different thing, though. They, Even pro- at college, they probably were unceremonious. I was just trying to talk myself into feeling better. Yeah. Actually, you know, they they made nice. They put on a good show at the Belichick right. craft press conference last week. Uh they may even have meant about ten percent of what they said. Right. <laughs> but he, he could be standing there deciding, do I want to take on a playoff team in Dallas, a playoff team in Philly? Do right. I want to take on a quarterback right. like Justin Herbert? Can you imagine that he'd have choices? In I think he will. I think the Chargers, have three or I do four. Too options and you can pick a quarterback here with maybe an older overrated team around him or you can go to a team that was great until the last six weeks seven weeks of the year or you can go to dallas where they're just begging for somebody to take them out of this psychological tailspin they've been in over the years in the playoffs i mean you're talking about a team that won 12 games 12 games 12 games last three years for mike mccarthy right and during that three-year stretch, they're one and three in the playoffs. They won one playoff game, one, and that was against Tampa in Brady's last game. But it does feel also for the Broncos that uh, it's a significant coach, and it's it's early in the process. We get that, but Belichick or Jim Harbaugh may end up coaching the Chargers. Well, Harbaugh has been Already, interviewed, yes, apparently. yes, and uh, you know he's he's coming. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. They may talk to Belichick about it. We'll see what happens with. Uh, uh, Antonio Pierce as well. I think all systems. Who would you hire? If I'm the Raiders? If, I'm if, the Raiders? You, if you had a choice, if you're the Raiders, or the, anybody with a choice between Harbaugh and Belichick, which one would, would you hire? If I were the Chargers, I would hire Harbaugh. If I were the Cowboys, I would hire Belichick. I agree with that. And if I were the Raiders, I think I'd hire Belichick. I think I'd hire Pierce. I think well, that's, who that, I, that's what's I think, gonna happen. I think that's who I, I think that's what's keep happen. that. That's yeah. what's gonna happen because he screwed up once before. Mark Davis did mm-hmm. when he had Basaccio, uh, right? Right. Take him into the playoffs, and and the players loved him. And Mark Davis said, "No, I want a name." And he went out and got Josh yeah. McDaniels. Yeah, you got a name. How'd it work out? Well, we'll find out uh, how this goes. Of course, more football tonight. The Avalanche uh, currently taking on the uh, Montreal Canadiens. We'll check that out tomorrow as well as get you all in touch for the uh, big Nuggets 
Sixers game tomorrow as well. Thanks for everyone who interacted with the program and listened to on FM HD, whether you got to MyLifeSports.com or just made it easy and got that app so you could get all the work from Arif Dean, Cody Rourke, both of our guests today, all on that app. Danny Billy's the man, the boot that makes everything work. Sandy and I will be back in about 22 hours, but you don't have to go anywhere. This is My Life Sports. Hey,